Well, good morning. Let me try that one more time. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, hey, listen, I've lived here long enough to know what's going on. It was 71 degrees yesterday, (laughs) and it's cold this morning, so I kind of know the drill. Hey, welcome to the second of four weekend services here at New Spring. We're in a series right now that's called Change, and it's all about really changing, not just tweaking, because, you know, in my lifetime, I've done a lot of tweaking, but at the end of the day, I still had issues that I really needed to resolve and deal with. So for five weeks, we're talking about what it takes to make serious substantive change in our lives. And we started with changing our minds. And in each week, I've tried to give you a metaphor because I want you to be able to have, you know, handles to hang on to as you climb this ladder. Uh, in the first weekend, we talked about changing our minds, and, and the metaphor was like a control panel because your mind is like your control panel. And you have the ability and the power to set the settings in your mind. Your, your body doesn't dictate to your mind. Your mind dictates to your body. And so you have the opportunity to do that. And we said that, you know, when we change our minds, it doesn't cost anything. You don't have to break a sweat. But what you do have to do, and what I have to do, is we have to admit that what we've been doing is not working. And that's hard on our pride. But at the moment we change our minds, good things begin to happen. The door gets open. Well, week two, we got into some of the heavy stuff because we talked about changing our habits. We said habits are are like gravity. They either pull us to success or they pull us to failure. If you have good habits, you'll be pulled. There's an energy in your life that will pull you to success. If you have bad habits, those bad habits will be energy that will pull us to failure. And then last week, we talked about attitudes, changing attitudes. And we said attitudes are like optical filters. Facts are facts. I have a lawyer friend who tells me facts are stubborn things. You know, facts are facts. But attitudes are the filters through which we look at the facts. It has a huge bearing on the way we live our lives, and we saw that last week. But today, I want to talk to us about something that's, that's pretty, pretty serious. And it's, it's changing our crowd. Because oftentimes, we don't think about the crowd that we, we hang with as having a serious impact on our lives. In fact, here's what I discover when I talk to people, and I can kind of tell that they have some bad influences in their lives with the people they hang with. They sort of tell me that they know these people are bad influences, but they say... Well, it's as if they're saying, I'm a free agent. I can handle this. You know, I'm a strong person. But every single one of us is hugely influenced by the people that we hang with. Real, real quickly, I want to make sure that you and I are on the same page as to what I'm talking about. Because if, if I don't say this, it's possible we could walk away and really misunderstand each other. I'm not talking about acquaintances. Because all of us have lots of acquaintances in our lives. We have people that, you know, have all kinds of things going on in their lives. And we're acquaintances. And we like each other. And, and I'm not even talking about the people that, you know, that we see a lot and we're in each other's lives, but at the, at the same point, it's not like they're in our inner circle. What I'm talking about today is the people who are in our inner circle, the people who influence us. Here's the metaphor for this morning. Friends are like current. The people that you hang with, the people in your inner circle, it's like a current in your life. Currents are important, you know. Uh, for years before there was, you know, mechanized... Uh, you know, o- ocean transportation before we had all the engines and stuff that power the ships. And when, when wind was the primary usage or primary source of power, currents were everything. Sailors had to know what the currents were. In fact, in Portugal, they couldn't sail to India because the currents just blocked them. And currents are still important today. And, you know, for many of us who love to swim in the ocean, we have to pay attention to currents because some of us may have experienced, if you get out to the ocean, you get into the wrong kind of current, you know, you can start fighting that current and you'll wind up drowning. So currents are really, really important. And that's how it is with your life and my life with the people we hang with. It's either a current that's 
pulling us in a good direction or its current is pulling us in a bad direction. So this morning, what I want to challenge us to do is to analyze the people that we hang with and what kind of current we're in. Is it good or bad? One more thing, right out of the box. I know that I, I could have you know, gotten on the wrong side of somebody's thinking here today, and you can say, Mark, man, just the idea of changing my crowd, changing my friends, you know, that I, I think if, if I'm a Christian, then I shouldn't think about changing any friendship in my life if I have to, like, eliminate somebody from my posse or my inner circle. Can we just have a fact of life here? <laughs> Friendships change. They're going to change whether we want them to or not. There are seasons of life. For instance, when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends. And, and I have a few still left from high school, but just life changed. You know, it, I've read all kinds of studies and surveys about who high schoolers listen to. And parents are on the list, but they're way down. <laughs> Number one on every list, who high schoolers listen to? Friends. Friends. But there's something dramatic that changes that. It's called graduation. <laughs> right? We move on in life. And so that happens in all stages of our lives, that we move on from situation to situation, station to station, and and it has a bearing on the people who are in our inner circle. So today, I want us to just back away for a few moments and think about the people we hang with, the influence they have in our lives, and what kind of what kind of influence that is. Now at the end of this message, when I when I give you a list of ten things, ten questions to ask, you may look at your inner circle and you say, Yeah, I got great friends. That's what happened with me. When I got this message, I looked at all these things, and I said, yeah, I am so blessed. So it could be that you'll walk away from this message and say, I don't need to make any changes at all. On the other hand, it could be that a serious perusal of what we're going to talk about will lead you to say, I need to make some serious changes. All right, let's go to the Bible. And I'm not going to ask you to look right now, but there are three chapters in the book of Judges that tell a story. And so I'm going to, if you're taking notes this morning, let me give you the chapters, and then you can read these when you go home. And I think this will be really helpful to you because it's all about changing our crowd. It's Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. And it's the story of a guy named Gideon. Just a little historical background. If you were here last week, I talked to you about how that God wanted to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and take them into the promised land. Well, time has passed. And what has happened is the Israelites, now that they're in this productive, prosperous place, they've forgotten about God. Hey, by the way, isn't it true that it's much easier to think about God when you're in a lot of trouble? And then when everything's going good and you got money in the bank, stuff happening, got relationships, good things happening in your life, if we're not careful, we can start forgetting where all those good things came from. That is exactly what happened with Israel. They got over into Canaan, and instead of like being thankful and remembering what God had done for them, they forgot about God. And they started partying, and they started worshiping idols. And so what God let happen is God let the taking of Canaan go in reverse. All of a sudden, foreign powers, kingdoms, begin to rise up against Israel and encroach upon them. And that brings me to something that really isn't part of my topic, but it's free. It won't cost you anything this morning. You know, sometimes we have the idea that God's unconditional love means that he will keep us comfortable. You know, I can't understand why this is happening in my life. Surely God can't be behind this because God loves me with unconditional love. Let me explain God's unconditional love to you. It means that God will let you be uncomfortable if you're in the wrong place. You know, because God wants you to be like him. God wants you to be everything you can be. And if you and I get lazy and we start, you know, disobeying God, God will actually turn up the heat until we can see the light. Well, that happened with Israel. And at this particular point, there was a a mean people group that the Bible calls the Midianites. The Midianites 
did something that was especially cruel. People in those days, of course, their economy was built on agriculture. And what the Midianites did was they would wait until the harvest was in the field. And they were the first people group to use camels for long-distance raids. And when the crops were in the field, they would, they would come down like this you know, sweeping horde, and they would strip the land of everything. They would take the, the livestock, they would take the crops in the fields, and they were leaving the Israelites to literally starve to death. And they were just trying to eke out an existence. And when God finds this guy, Gideon, you know, Gideon is certainly not in a place of strength or pride. Gideon's got a little tiny bit of wheat, and he's down in an indented area, and he's trying to thresh the wheat. Well, in those days, to thresh the wheat, get it to separate, they would, like, throw it up into the wind and let, you know, let the grain fall. But Gideon is not even in a place where the wind was blowing. He was trying to hide what little food he had. And when he was there, you know, threshing his little bit of wheat in a valley, God sends an angel to talk to Gideon, and this angel has, a, I guess, a real sense of humor because the angel came to Gideon and said, hey, you're a mighty man. Isn't it great that God sees stuff in us sometimes that we can't see? Gideon is saying, you talking to me? We read it. You'll see it there. Gideon, you, you talking to me? You serious? Gideon is saying, I, my, my family is the least in the tribe, and I'm the least member of my family. That's, that's tantamount to Gideon saying, I'm the last guy in the world that's a superman. Well, anyway, I'm not, you can read all about it, but God you know, convinces him that God has chosen him to be the leader. And so time passes and Gideon, you know, steps up to the plate and he, he does something. He tries to summon an army because he's got to go up. I'm thinking from what I can read, he's got to probably go up against 200,000 Midianites. And so he blows the horn and out comes an army, a volunteer army of 32,000 guys. If I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, man, I, don't, I just barely have a little over 10% of what I need. And on top of that, these were not the best soldiers in the world. They were flabby. You know, they've been partying. They've been, you know, they weren't in spiritual shape to do anything. But out they come, 32,000. And so Gideon is thinking, okay, how am I going to beat a couple hundred thousand with 32,000? And along comes God. And God says, Gideon, you got too many men. (coughs) Too many. Excuse me? Too many? Lord, you know what kind of shape we're in? You know what we're up against? God said, yeah, you got too many. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that I want to give you right now, and it's a verse that may surprise you, okay? So if, what I would like for you to do is just grip something real solid, okay? Hold on. If you're wearing dentures, you just want to, like, hold them real tight, okay? God says in Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. You say, wait a minute, Mark. I thought God wanted me to have lots of friends. I got 245 friends on my Facebook. I'm not talking about that kind of friends, all right? No. God says it's possible to have too many friends. Now, that's what God was saying to Gideon. You got too many, you got too many guys. So God says, here's the deal. We're, we're going we're to do an experiment here. Tell them all, all the ones who are cowards, they can go home. Now, if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, well, that shouldn't be too bad. I might lose a few here. Because after all, these guys got this male ego thing going. Who, who wants to walk away in front of a whole army and say, I'm a coward? And beyond that, I think, hey, listen, guys, you know I'm from Texas? We grew up, you know, in Texas where I, you know, in school. We had history. It cycled every three years. We had American history, world history, Texas history. whole year of it, three times. We were taught that was the most important history. 
That's why Texans are insufferable. <laughs> but man, I mean, we, we still get misty-eyed when we talk about the Alamo. 187 men at the Alamo, up against an army of thousands. And when it was, all, it was real clear that those who stayed and fought in the Alamo, they were going to die, according to, the his, according to the legend at least. Colonel Travis drew a line in the sand in the Alamo with his saber, and he said, everyone who is willing, he said, we're all going to die if we stay here and fight. But everyone who is willing here to stay and fight for God in Texas, walk across this line. And every Texan swells with pride as we tell the story about how that every man stepped across that line and Colonel Bowie, who was on a cot, asked to be carried across. I don't know if there's any truth to that at all, but at least we all believe that if we're from Texas. Now, if I'm Gideon, that's what I'm hoping for. All of you guys who are afraid, go home. I think Gideon's just hoping for another Alamo moment. Everybody's going to say, we're ready to go. To his amazement, 22,000, count them, 22,000 walk away. I mean, if I'm getting, I'm going to say, was it something I said? <laughs> I mean, think about this. I mean, you know, you go to a football game or something, you think about 22,000 people, think about what that would look like, the backs of those guys leaving. And now getting is left with 10,000. Oh, boy, that went well. A guy came along and said, Gideon, I, listen, you got way, way, way too many guys. Take them down to the water and let them drink. And all the guys, and he gave them this particular test. He said, all the guys who drink the water and they're not paying attention to what's going on around them, weed them out. And the guys who drink water and they're paying attention, they're, they're aware of their surroundings, they're watching, keep those. And when that particular test was finished, he lost another 9,700. All he had left were 300. Now, what did God say in Proverbs? A man of too many friends will come to ruin. That's pretty serious, ruin. God's not saying it's not a good thing. He said ruin. Too many friends will come to ruin. What God was saying to you and to me and to Gideon and anybody else who will listen is that, listen, in order to get to where you need to go, you can't take everybody with you. And by the way, when you read the rest of the story, you will see the genius of God's plan. There were two groups that Gideon couldn't take. He couldn't take the fearful. He couldn't take the cowards because they would screw everything up. And somebody could say, well, hey, Mark, listen, man, the people I hang with, we're not afraid of anything. We're up for any risk. I mean, we, you know, we, our favorite program is Jackass on MTV. I mean, we just do all kinds of wild and crazy things. Well, there was another group he couldn't take with him. He couldn't take the careless. He had to cut two groups from his posse. He had to cut the fearful and the careless. And what happened with that 300? Man, God did an extraordinary thing. It's probably the greatest military story in all of history. Judges 6, 7, and 8. Today, I want to talk to us about the people who are with us. Do we need to change our crowd? I want to ask you to look at this text if you have a Bible with you this morning. And if you don't, this will be on the IMAG screens. Also, in many places, I know at least on the main floor, there are Bibles in the backs of the pew. And if you want to look at this with me, it's uh, on page, I think, 459 in our, in our, in our Bible here at New Spring. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but for everybody who has to hire, for everybody who has to staff, for everybody who has to recruit, just for anybody who's looking for a friend, if you're looking for people in your life, I'm about to give you, not me personally, but I'm about to show you maybe the best chapter in the Bible. This, this is just solid gold. This is better than anything you'll find in any book. 
It is Psalm 101. And, and in this psalm, David is going to talk about who he wants in his life. I call this David's manifesto or David's leadership manifesto. Let me give you a little background before we get into this. David is a young king. And when he starts out being king, he starts out being a king over a small area, and it's pretty much his people. But now the previous king, who was a very bad leader, has died. And now that kingdom, the northern kingdom, is going to get folded in, and David is going to become king over a whole new group of people. He understands very clearly he's going to inherit some leaders who are not good leaders. The previous guy, Saul, the previous king, was totally insecure, and he staffed his administrations his administration with kiss-ups. I mean, people that just, you know, yes, sir, whatever you want. And a lot of times he he just put losers in place because they wouldn't tell him anything he didn't want to hear. David understood very clearly that now that he's king, he's going to have some of these people in his administration. And he's concerned about that. And so he's writing out a, a manifesto of the kind of people he wants with him. This is awesome. Let me read it to you, and then we'll break it down. In verse 2 he says, I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house, and liars will not stay in my presence. Okay, guys, we just got something huge. We just got something huge from God. Now think about, when, before David starts talking about the kind of people he's going to allow in his life, David talks about David. See, here's the thing. This is probably the, the best-kept secret of today's talk. If you saw my title, Change Your Crowd, it could be that you'll look at that and you'll say, okay, who do I need to like add to my posse? Who do I need to delete? <clears throat> the truth of the matter is this. Friends are like current. If you want good friends, get in a good current. If you have bad friends, it's probably because you're in a bad current. And David understood, before I can get good people, I have to be in a good current. And so he's saying... Two things that he's going to do personally. These are huge. He said, number one, I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. Huge. A life of integrity. First of all, what's he talking about? You say, well, Mark, integrity means honesty. It means so much more than that. If there's structural integrity, it means everything fits together. It means everything is appropriate. How many of us have a friend who one day wants to do good things, the next day the friend wants to do bad things? One day this person is all about, you know, being your friend. The next day you don't know who she is. I mean, David is saying, I'm going to be a person of integrity. I'm going to be a person whose life matches up with what I say I believe. But now here's what I love about this. And being a public person, you know, I can't hide in this community. You know, wherever I go, either because of the size of New Spring, the television audience, or running people all the time. I can't hide. I'm a public person. Well, this is what really speaks to me. David said, I'm going to be a person of integrity in my own home. In other words, when nobody's watching when I'm not having to be out there for public consumption. Because, see, David was a king. He was, he was a very high-profile person. And there are a lot of people who say, well, I'm going to make sure that I come off looking good. But deep inside, they have issues. And you know what? That doesn't fool anybody. David said, 
I'm going to be a person of integrity in my own home when nobody's looking. Number two, he said, I won't let anything in my mind that messes me up. Big. David said, I'm just not going to let junk in my mind. Anything vulgar, anything that's not good, I'm not going to let it in. David said, I'm going to have a gatekeeper in my mind. Before he could let the right people in, David had to be the right person. I love that. Then notice this. There there are two more things here that I find in the chapter. The first thing is David said he had a problem with certain people. There were certain people, David just said, I have a problem with these people. Let me give you five things here. Number one, he said, I have a problem with people who are crooked. And by that, he's not just talking about people who are deceptive. This is big. David had a problem with people who were unnecessarily complicated. All of us have, you know, all of us are complicated people. But do you ever have a friend who's unnecessarily complicated? You never know where they're going to be. You never know what they're going to be about. They're all over the page. And it just drives you crazy trying to be a friend because they're unnecessarily complicated. David said, I have a problem with those kind of people. Number two, he he had a problem with people who come up with twisted plans. In other words, schemes to like make their thing work. Third thing, David had a problem with people who gossip. He said, I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. Guys, let me just tell you, if you got a friend who talks about other people to you, that same friend will talk about you to other people. That is a fact. You see, here's the reason why you don't want to let gossips in your life, in your inner circle. They're they're bottom feeders. Somebody has said, you know, great minds talk about ideas, good minds talk about things, weak minds talk about people. That's fact. You know, if you got great friends, they got wonderful ideas. They're talking about good things that they want to accomplish. They're talking about their dreams, their goals, their aspirations. But if you got somebody who's just like gossips, I don't know, telling you about stuff that people are doing at work, you know, and who's sleeping with who, and you know, who's doing this and who's doing that, and hey, have you heard? There's a bottom feeders, and you don't need them. Because here's the deal: the whole thing behind gossip is I don't feel secure enough that you would like me for who I am. So I got to tell you salacious stuff in order to get you to listen to me. Hmm. Number four, the the fourth group of people, David said, I I just can't have around me. And this is in verse five. He talks about conceit and pride. These are people who are full of themselves. And number five, the fifth group of people, David said he had a problem with people who who can't tell the truth. They have a problem with truth. You say, well, Mark, you know, uh, he just kind of embellishes stuff. Or, yeah, you know, he's just afraid that if he tells the truth, he's going to get in trouble. David said, I just can't have that kind of person around me. Powerful stuff. David said, I, I have a problem with people who are crooked, come up with twisted plans, who gossip, who are full of themselves, and have a problem telling the truth. Then there are two groups of people David said he did want in his life. And this is really great. He said he wanted people who are faithful. Faithful. None of us likes to have adversity in our lives, but adversity is a real friend tester, isn't it? There's a word we have or an expression that we have for people who are only there in good times, and we call those people fair-weather friends. I mean, who's there for you when you screw up? Who's there for you when you get embarrassed? Who's there for you when hanging with you means that they have to, like, get some of you rubbed off on them? Who's there who will hold you accountable and lovingly tell you, I think you're on the wrong track. Faithful, faithful. And then this is interesting. The second group of people that he wanted around him was people who have earned a good reputation. People that have lived their lives in such a way that people know this is a person of integrity. And David said, I want those people in my life. Now with that in mind, 
I want to give you 10 questions that I've used to, to look at testing our crowd. And I know they'll go through these quickly. And, and last night in the evening service, we decided we put these on my blog that you can access through our website. They'll be there later today. But there are 10 questions. If you want to write these down, you could, if you write quickly, it's fine. Like I say, if not, these will be on my blog. 10 questions. Number one, do I do things I wouldn't ordinarily do when I'm with them? In other words, being with these friends means all of a sudden I start doing things, saying things that aren't me. I wouldn't do it, but I just, you know, it's the people I hang with. Number two, do I have to keep making excuses to myself and others for them? Number three, do I feel challenged to become a better me when I'm around them? Boy, this is big because I start thinking about my friends and I have some really, really wonderful friends, and I think just being around them makes me want to excel. Number four, do I find myself more critical of others when I hang with them? In other words, after I leave that, you know, lunch, after I leave that party, am I suddenly more critical? Am I more negative because I've been with them? Number five, does this person give me a new problem every time I see him? I can tell some of you have had a friend like that. Number six, does this person play up to my weaknesses to prove I need them? Number seven, do I ever feel controlled by my friend? Number eight, do I feel pressured to continue the relationship when I really want to let it go? Or, number nine, am I pressuring this person to stay when he really wants to go? And number ten, does this friend... Let me talk about my relationship with God. Now, your friend may not have a relationship with God, but the question is, does he, does she let you talk about your relationship with God, or do you have to shut off all the God stuff in order to hang with this person? Check your crowd out with those 10 questions. You say, Mark, it's not really that important. (laughs) Guys, our friends have more influence on us than we can possibly imagine. I thought about two stories in my life, people I've known. First of all, I thought about a kid I grew up with. We went to elementary school together. We went to middle school together. He was the nicest kid I think I've ever went to school with. Friendly, gracious, positive, you know, energetic, engaging. If you had met him, you would have instantly liked him. He just always had something good to say. I played sports with him. He was my friend. But when we got into high school, he started running with the wrong group. And I remember one day I was in the grocery store in Fort Worth. I was in high school at the time. I think I was probably a junior, maybe sophomore. And I saw him sitting down kind of like at the little manager's station there in the store. And he was sitting down, and he, and he had his head down. And I walked over to him, and I said, are you okay? And when he looked up at me, I could see he was crying. And I called him by name, and I said, is everything all right? Is there anything I can do? And I don't know why I didn't catch it to that point, but I realized he had his hands behind him, and they were cuffed. And I guess they caught him stealing something from the store. I never saw him much after that. But one day I ran into a friend from high school several years later. And he asked me, he said, did you hear about it? And he called him by name, and he said, you went to prison for murder committed suicide in his cell. I know that's pretty dramatic, 
but I knew this kid. I knew that wasn't him. By the same token, let me tell you about another friend of mine. I just met him a short time ago. If you met him, you wouldn't be impressed with him personality-wise. I mean, when I, when I knew who he, who he was and, and what he did, I just expected to be blown away by this guy's incredible personality. I met him, and, 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 and personally, I, I just wasn't impressed that much with him. His story is like this. He, he graduated from Christian college. He's 22 years old. He had no idea what he wanted to do with his life. No idea at all. But his, his friend, his, his roommate, was just a really, really sharp kid. And, and his friend said, hey, you know, and his friend had a relative who was connected to the White House. And, you know, his relative worked for the, you know, some level for the president. And he said, hey, I think they're hiring there for, you know, this really, really low-level job. And my friend took the job. And, like, he's just like a sponge, you know. He's learning everything he can learn from. And he started rising to the ranks. Until, well, in, in a short length, short period of time, he actually became a trusted, trusted aide to this particular president. And then when this president went out of office, he took the stuff that he had learned from these good friends, from hanging with the right people, went to a corporation, and became very successful at what he had learned in the White House, and then got into a great church and started volunteering in his church. And the next thing you know, I mean, he's like in this incredible ministry. And I got to tell you, my friend is the best in the world at what he does. He helps churches that are having issues. He is the best at what he does. And yet, if you could meet him, you wouldn't be impressed, I don't think, with him at all. You know, he's no superstar. He just had a story of being in the right current and the right friends carrying him a long way. Here's what the Bible says. And for all of us who who are thinking about our our crowd, the Bible just puts it real simple. This is in Proverbs 13, verse 20 in the message. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. I couldn't have said it better. God has it. Become wise by walking with wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Check your crowd today. Check your crowd. And, and you say, well, Mark, what do I need to do? Get in the right current. If you're in the right current, the right friends. Will, and, and let me just give you this. I know I'm in overtime this morning. Could I, I, I didn't really in, in, intend to say this. But uh, give me about 30 more seconds I'll end the message. I've watched how I draw two kinds of people around me. The first kind of person that I draw around me is drawn by the energy and the passion, and they just want to hang out with me, and they want a piece of the world that I live in. And what I've discovered is those are the kinds of friends that will help you accomplish amazing things. They understand everything I'm about. They drive me. They push me. They draw me. They, they just you know, have ideas. I've learned that I draw that kind of person. I've learned that I also draw another kind of person. I draw people around me who feed off that energy. They don't have any intention of being in the current that I'm in. It's just like if I can hang with Mark, then maybe some of it will rub off on me and it will give me identity. Here's what I've learned. That first group will help me get to amazing places. That second group will drain me of every bit of emotional blood I have. And I've learned 
that the secret to success in life, whether in any field, it is being in the right current, drawing the right people around you who will encourage you. But that don't mean you shut everybody out of your life who's not in that group. I'm talking about your inner circle, the crowd that you hang with. So hugely important. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned today. Today's talk, Father, I'm sure was tough for all of us. It is for me. And I'm, I don't know how much definition there is in all of our minds right now. Your Holy Spirit needs to drill down in our lives and show us what we need to do. For some of us, Lord, it's like David. We, we, we need to sit down and think about ourselves, our own fears, our own carelessness, our own lack of integrity and deal with that so that we can draw the right kind of people. For others of us, Lord, it may require some difficult moments and decisions. I can't address those. I ask that you would in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's pray for just another moment. We talked about friends today. There is no more important friend than God. I love the song that Lance leads us in, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. You could, you could say, well, Mark, I don't have any friends. Nobody wants to be my friend. Well, we'll talk about pessimism on another day. But you can't say nobody wants to be your friend because the God of creation wants to be your friend. And he is a friend who will stay with you no matter what. He's a friend who will love you no matter what. How do, how do you start a friendship with God? How do you start a relationship with God? Jesus talked about it this way. He said, I'm standing at the door and knocking, and if anybody will let me in, Jesus said, I'll come in and hang with that person. And not just in this life, but for eternity. Man, when Christ comes into your life, you get this incredible package. Forgiveness of sins, heaven, God in your life. And, and God has made it so easy. Now, it was hard on him. He had to give up his son, Jesus. He had to let his son be brutalized to pay for our sins so that he could make it easy for us. Make it a gift, in fact. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to pray a prayer that calls on God, and if you've never invited Christ into your life, you can do that. You say, Mark, right here, can I just talk to God? Absolutely. And he's listening for you already. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you pray this and mean it in your heart, God will hear your prayer. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I believe you love me, and that you died in my place. Please forgive me and save me and be my friend. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come, and while they're coming, when you came in this morning, you got a worship folder. Part, it's detachable. It's, you, can, you can tear it right down the middle. If you just prayed to receive Christ, I have a gift for you. It won't cost you anything. If you will, just put your name and address on here. And in this white field, just check the box. And it says, I prayed with Mark. And all you have to do is you can drop it in the offering bags. If you, get, you probably won't be able to do that in time. But if, if you want to, you can drop it in the boxes at the back of the bottom of the staircase. I will mail this to you this week. I know we're crowded, but if you have a few extra minutes, if you'll just come to guest services or New Spring store, you can just bring the card. You don't, they won't ask you any questions or anything. Just say, I pray with Mark, and they will give this to you today. Some DVDs and cool stuff to help you know what it means to follow Jesus.